going to preach a, a sermon this morning from the book of Esther, and uh, we're continuing on in the Create series, and um, I've talked to you about why should we clean and why should we do different things, and today the question is, what's the point? What's the point? And that's what I'm going to try to preach about this morning. What is the point? You may look at your car this morning and say, I washed it yesterday, but what is the point today? You could clean your house, but if you have teenagers or toddlers, you might later say, well, what was the point in cleaning the house? On again, like a day like today, we may have combed our hair before we left, but by the time we got into here this morning, we may have said, what's the point? But on a more serious note, we wear seatbelts, and we may say, well, what's the point? And the, the point is, it could potentially save our lives, and I encourage you to wear your seatbelt. We wear sunscreen, and we say, well, what's the point? Well, it could prevent us from having a skin cancer in the future, and I encourage you to wear sunscreen. But in regards to our lives, many times we say, what's the point? My purpose, my purpose, why am I here? My problem, why am I dealing with what I'm dealing with? But then we may begin to remind ourselves of my promise. And my promise is God is with me. And God is working all things, hear me this morning, to my good. Do you believe that? Say amen. And as a believer, God is writing our life's story. Both those things that seem to be very apparent and those things that seem to be behind the scenes, God is always working His will in me and in this world around us. The world around us or our lives or both may seem to be chaotic, may seem to be going off of the train tracks, but I promise us that God is always working and God is always in control. The word that I would love for us to grab as we begin this message this morning is the word sovereign. God is sovereign. God is the one supreme power. Having no beginning and having no end, God is sovereign and all-powerful. God is in control. God knows the past. God knows the present. God knows the future. God is present in the past and in the present. And can I tell you, he's already there in the future. God is sovereign. And God is guiding this universe and ultimately his plan and his will is going to prevail. God is sovereign. So I would tell us this morning in light of that fact, we as individuals should not question God's timing in our lives. Today's story comes from the book of Esther. I will, for time constraints, not be able to, to give you all the details and all the richness and all the, the plot twist within this neat story. And I encourage you this week to take some time and read the book of Esther. It's only 10 chapters in its entirety. It is an amazing story. It is one of drama. It is one of romance. It is one of intrigue. In fact, it's the stuff that a best-selling novel could have been written about, but yet it is a true story. It's the story of God's interaction, God's sovereignty combining with human will 
We can look at things around us and we can say, how can it be in my life even that I can make the wrong decisions yet God in his sovereignty can somehow intervene and get me back on the right path and get me to where I'm supposed to be. We see it all through the book of Esther. It's a story that doesn't mention God's name, not even once. Not even once does it mention God's name. The closest it gets is a time when Esther calls the ladies to fasting and praying. But his name isn't mentioned, but his fingerprints are all over the book. Sometimes God is not apparent seemingly in our lives, but his fingerprints are all over our lives. God is sovereign, God is in control, and God's timing is perfect. With God in charge, we can take courage. Would everybody say that word with me? Courage. He can guide us through life's circumstances. And we can and we should expect that God is going to intervene in our lives and on our behalf. Guarantee it. I promise you that. So don't question the timing. God carries out things in his timing in this world and in our lives. So we look now at the story of Esther And we see a young lady named Esther who was still in the land of captivity, even though her parents evidently had decided years before not to leave when there was a first opportunity for the exiles to leave and go back to Jerusalem, go back to Israel. For some reason, her parents did not leave. And we could ask ourselves why. But here we find Esther for such a time as this. We see that Esther's parents died. Any number of us could look around this room and we could talk about things from our childhood that we don't understand, that we don't appreciate, that have seemingly hurt our lives. Here we see a a girl named Esther whose parents died. Her uncle Mordecai raised her. We may ask ourselves, why all of this? Then we see a positive. Esther had great beauty. And we may say, why did she have this great beauty? Well, God was going to use that in her life. Later on, we see that she, because of that great beauty, she becomes the queen. Now, that may sound very positive in some ways it was. But it was also a negative because she was taken away from her known family, Mordecai and all of where she had lived. And she had to live with the other ladies that belonged to the king in a different place beside the palace. She could have easily asked herself, why is this happening to me? Why am I being separated yet again? But she was chosen by the king to become the new queen. Then we see this man Mordecai throughout this story, her uncle, who was working around the palace, and and one just seemingly random day, he discovers that there had been a plot to kill the king. And he exposes that to Esther, and Esther tells the king, and the king is saved, but Mordecai is not rewarded for doing the right thing. Can I tell you that God will always reward us for doing the right thing, but it may not come when we expect it. But God keeps account. And so we see all of these things, all of these different things that fall into place, all of this timing, and it it seems scattered in a sense, but God is going to take it and use it For his glory. He's going to use it to save his very own people. Look with me at Esther 2.22. It tells us 
about one key part here as we go into this story. It tells us where Mordecai discovers the plot. He said, so the matter or the plot became known to Mordecai who told Queen Esther and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. So we see that just like pieces on a chessboard, God's putting the pieces in place. God is having things to happen and he's doing that in our lives too. And he takes the good, the bad, and even the very ugly You say, Pastor, there have been things that have happened in my life that are so ugly that I can't even speak about them. I don't want to even think about them. But I want to tell you that even the very ugliest of things, God in his sovereign grace and mercy can turn to good and reconcile somehow in our lives the desirable and the undesirable. Don't question God's timing. But secondly, I want to tell us that we should not question the testing. Everybody say testing. If you have a child in public schools, you know about testing. Someone has said that as long as there are SOL tests in schools, there will be prayer in schools. Don't question the time of testing in our lives. Testing will come. And testing is necessary. Testing is needed. Why do we take a test? We take a test or we're given a test or or proctored a test because one, we, we need to assess what we know. But secondly, a test is to assess what we don't know. And can I tell you that a good teacher will take the results from a test and use them as a teaching experience. God is a good teacher. Sometimes God needs to remediate us on some things, amen? Sometimes we need God to reteach us some things, and so we should not question the times of testing because tests are useful. So we see this intriguing story of Esther where we now see a time of testing. We've looked at the timing of different things falling apart, but look with me at Esther 3, 2, and and we'll describe quickly the test that Esther and Mordecai are about to face. On Esther 3, 2, it said, And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to this man named Haman. Haman is the enemy in this story. Haman is the villain. Haman is the the bad guy. In fact, he is the descendant of the Agites who are a long time, long standing. If you've been in class on Wednesday night, you've heard about the the Agites, this long standing feud between the Jewish people and the Agites. Haman is the enemy. And the enemy here has been exalted. Have you ever felt in your life, maybe on the workplace or, or someplace, that the enemy, so to speak, for some reason is getting all the promotions and has been put into the influential places? God is working his plan. Haman is the enemy, but yet he has been promoted to number two in the entire kingdom. Read on with me. For so the king had commanded concerning him. The king did it. That last line. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Kind of like the three Hebrew children that we've heard so much about. But would not bow. A man of conviction, a man of principle. Mordecai says, I'm not bowing to anyone but God. And I will not bow to Haman. And Haman becomes furious. So what's the testing here in this book? Let me, let me tell you four points quickly. Haman is promoted. Mordecai refuses to bow. 
Haman becomes infuriated and wants to kill Haman. But not just Haman, but he decides, I'm going to kill all of the Jewish people within this vast, and it was a vast empire. We're going to, I'm going to get the king to, to approve this. We're going to kill all of the Jewish people. Can I tell you that the enemy, the devil, has tried to wipe out the Jewish people time and time again, but he will not because they're God's chosen people. Haman gets the permission of the king, and it seems like their fate is sealed. The testing is on. Haman is even so brazen that he casts lots to determine the day, and he picks the day of the big test, so to speak. He picks the day that they're going to wipe out all of the Jewish people throughout the entire empire. We see deception here. We see grudges here. We see a long-term enemy here getting control. And the testing has come to Esther and to Mordecai. And my friends, you may find yourself today in a test. You may find yourself where it seems that people have aligned themselves against you and lies are being told or things are being manipulated. But God is sovereign and God is in control. You see here, the enemy had been promoted. The enemy had been provoked. The enemy had purposed the day. And the enemy had been provided the power. And all of the odds seemed to be against Esther and Mordecai and the Jewish people. But God. We may say, how will this end? In your life, in my life, we may say, how will this end? I want to tell you how it will end for a child of God. It will end the way God determines that it will end. Because God is sovereign and God is in control. So we've seen timing in Esther's life. We've seen testing in Mordecai's life. But now I want us to look from the timing to the testing. I want to look at the triumph the triumph. I love the new song that is out right now that says, even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. And then it goes on to say, he never stops. He never stops. He never stops working. I want to promise you that Jesus Christ liveth to intercede on our behalf. God is always working for you and God is always working for me. And no weapon formed against me or you shall prosper. And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Don't question the timing. Don't question the testing. But don't for one moment question the triumph because victory will come. You see, Mordecai knows they're in trouble. Esther knows they're in trouble. But Mordecai knows that God had placed Esther in the right place at the right time for such a time as this. We may see all the pins and all the, all the pieces that the enemy has placed around our lives, but God has always been working to counteract that. And strategically, all along, God has been putting people in place here and people in place there. It could have been 10 years earlier that God put somebody where they need to be so they can help me tomorrow. But God is always working. He never stops. Look with me, please. Esther chapter 4 started at verse 13. Some of the most powerful scriptures in this whole book of 10 chapters. Starting at verse 13. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther. He's communicating here back and forth 
through some communication channels to Esther. Their email server was down that day, and so he was having to send it back and forth. Kind of like around here sometimes when I get that turning, turning, turning. And Mordecai told them to answer, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than the other Jews. Just because you're the queen, just because you're in the palace... Young lady, you need to realize the king has given Haman power to kill all the Jews and all means all, and you're not going to escape either. He's trying to get her attention here. Look at verse 14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. I love that little phrase right there because Mordecai realizes that God had promised Abraham We have the Abrahamic covenant. We have the Davidic covenant. And and Mordecai is realizing, hey, yes, the king has allowed this to happen. Yes, the decree has come out that the Jewish people will be wiped out. But somehow, in some way, it's not going to happen. Because God has promised that these special people will be preserved through the end of time. He has promised that even before that, I'm going to send a Messiah through them. And he's not going to allow them to be destroyed. And so Mordecai says to Esther, listen, girl, if you don't stand up and you don't take your spot and you don't play your role, well, that's okay. You might perish, but God will pull in somebody to protect his people. And we've seen it all throughout history, even when Hitler in his evilness tried to exterminate, and he did exterminate millions of Jews, but he was unable to kill off God's special chosen people. Why do you bring that up, Pastor? Because we've been grafted in this morning. We are part of the family of God. And if God be for us, who can be against us? But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether, watch this, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther called them to prayer and fasting. She she probably walked the floors. Oh God, what should I do? You see, Esther had not been called into the presence of the king in 30 days. And even if you were the queen, even if you were a part of his harem, you didn't just go to the king. No one did. You show up unannounced and off with your head, be done with thyself. But she decides, look in verse 14, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 16, the last part of that verse, and she said, And so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. She had a resolve to do the right thing. And I believe as Christians, I believe as God's body, we need to purpose in our hearts and in our lives one more time that we have a resolve to do the right thing. We have a resolve to preach and teach the right message. When we have local churches that I looked on one of their websites last night that are open to any doctrine and and all doctrine, any orientation, they said, on their website. We are living in a day where this word is politically incorrect. 
We are living in a day where the antichrist spirits are all prevalent throughout the land and the true message of Christ is under attack. But may we resolve to preach this word from the Genesis to the Revelation and everything in between. May we resolve to be like Timothy and preach the word in season and out of season. If it makes us popular, then so be it. If it makes us unpopular, so be it. But preach this word. Resolve that the word of God is the only powerful living word. It is the only word that will change a life. We must preach the truth. Preach and teach the truth. And if we perish, we perish. If there comes a time when we're accused of hate crimes for preaching the word, God help us to be resolved to stand firm upon this word of God. Because if God be for us, who can be against us? Give us resolve. And may we not question the triumph. She knew, I think, somewhere deep down in her heart that she would not perish Because she had been God-placed. And I want to tell you this morning, if we know that we are walking in the calling of God and in step with God, then we can have that same resolve to know that I won't perish when I have been God-placed. And God is powering me. So here's what she did. For the triumph. She went to the king. And as you read in in Esther. You see that he extended the scepter to her. And he said come on in. And he said I'll give you your request. Even up to half of my kingdom. But can I tell you this morning. She wasn't interested in his kingdom. She was interested in her people. Oh come on this morning. I want to tell us that our mindset. Sometimes needs to change. And quit worrying about what we possess. And what we gain. And we need to start worrying about people again. She wasn't worried about that. She could have said oh this is my opportunity. I'll take half right now. Give me half. No she wasn't worried about possessions. She was worried about her people. She said I want you to come to a banquet. And she said I want Haman to come. And so we see in the scriptures where they have this banquet. And it seems rather uneventful. And she didn't ask the king anything about saving her people. And the banquet is about to end. It seems kind of odd. But can I tell you that God's timing was in place. And there may be things that happen in our lives and we go to it and we say, here, this is it. This is going to be the victory. God is going to move right here and right now, but yet he doesn't and it seems to delay. But even when I don't see him, he is working. He never stops. He never stops working. And so what happens is she just says, will you come again for another banquet? The king must have been a little bit about like your pastor and likes to eat because he said, absolutely, I'll come. To another banquet. But what happened that night was miraculous. Again, I hope you'll read the whole story in detail, but I'm gonna gonna sum it up in two broad points. After that banquet happened, Haman left feeling on cloud nine. Haman, the enemy, the villain, he leaves feeling on cloud nine because he just dined with the king and the queen. His head was big. But then he walked by Mordecai and Mordecai didn't bow down to him and that pride swelled up in him again and he says, I'm, going, I'm done with him. 
And so we see that over the night between these banquets, we see this man Haman building gallows, a death device, if you will, and he's got Mordecai's name written all over it. And the enemy is constructing his plan of death. The enemy is constructing his plan of destruction bolt by bolt and nail by nail and the gallows are being built. But over here during the same night, you see, even when I don't see it, he's working. He never stops. He never stops. And over here, we see the king suffering a night of insomnia. Tossing and turning and tossing and turning and turning and tossing all night. Didn't somebody sing a song like that? Was that Elvis or somebody? He couldn't sleep. He couldn't sleep. And he gets up and he calls for them to bring to him, of all things, I'll call them the historical documents. To me, it would have been like E-I-E-I-O. And on his farm, he had five goats and two pigs. He had him come and they started. Maybe that's why he brought it. Maybe he thought that would make him get sleepy. But they bring into the king and they start reading to him from the historical accounts of his kingdom. And they get to a place and they start reading where this man named Mordecai had exposed the plot that someone had to kill the king. And the king wipes some sleepers out of his eyes and he says, I just made that up. But he said, what did we do to reward this man who saved my life? Well, king, we didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. He said, we're going to fix that. So we see the next morning when Haman comes strutting into the king, ready to get his approval to kill Mordecai, the king had already purposed in his heart and mind, he's going to reward Mordecai. And before Haman can even speak, the king says, I want you to get Mordecai. I want you to take him all around the town. And I want you to, well, actually, he asked Haman, what do you think I should do? And Haman thinks he's talking about him. And Haman says, well, we ought to do thus and so and prayed him around town and praise him and all. And Haman thinks he's talking about him, his old prideful self. And the king said, that sounds good. You go get Mordecai. And you take him and you do that. And Haman was embarrassed. But even when I don't see God working, God is working. And he takes him around. And the only consolation at that point that old Haman has is that he's still invited to what he thinks is going to be a glorious banquet that night, banquet number two, with the king and the queen. But when he arrives to eat with the king and the queen, somewhere within the meal, I don't know it was if they had gotten down to the jello gelatin part or where they were at, but at some point in the meal, Esther exposes Haman for who he is. He says, this man right here has deceived you, king. He, he has deceived you and he has caused this decree that would kill even me, your queen, and all of my people and all the Jewish people. And look with me at Esther 7, verse 10. This old prideful Haman. What happens to him? So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. It talks about in the Proverbs about how that they dug a pit for me, but they fell in it themselves. 
You see, even when I don't see it, God's working. Even when it seems that the enemy is getting the upper hand, my God is working. He never stops. He never stops. He never stops working. So one final point this morning. I said we shouldn't question the timing and we shouldn't question the testing. We shouldn't question the triumph. But finally, we should not forget to celebrate. The events that have come together for good, they're not merely coincidental, but it's God. And so they had a law that was passed to counteract what the king had originally put into place. The king couldn't just rescind his law the way things were set up, but he could pass another law to offset it. And there's a lot to that as well. Again, I hope you'll read the whole book. But he passed a law to offset it. And here's what happened among the people. Look at Esther 8, 17. And in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had, say this with me, joy and gladness. That's what God has for you and for me. Joy and gladness. They had a feast and they had a holiday. And then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. You see, God had been patiently working through all of this. And my friends, this morning, I want to tell all of us on this rainy October morning, I don't know what you are going through. I don't know what situation you find yourself in, what dilemma. But I want to promise you that God is patiently working in your individual life. It may not seem like it. It may not feel like it. But God is patiently working in your life. Let me give you three quick takeaways. Takeaway one, the opportunities that we have are more important than the ones we wish we had. The ones we have right now are more important than the ones we wish we have. Takeaway two, we can trust God to weave together the events of our life for the best. And takeaway three, the rewards for doing right are sometimes delayed, but they'll always come. Keep sowing good seed. Keep doing the right thing. So they decided to celebrate And one commentary said that the primary purpose even of this book or one of the primary purposes of this book was to show us the dramatic origins of what was called the Feast of Purim. And the Jews still celebrate that feast today. And it commemorates how God saved them from the evil plot of Haman. And he cast lots by chance, to figure out the day he was going to wipe them all out. But the sovereignty of God said, we're going to take that same day and add a day to it, and we're going to have a feast. And we're going to celebrate that God is still in control. God is sovereign. God is in control. And even when life doesn't make sense, even when I don't see it, he's working. Would you stand with me this morning? 
the praise team come and get prepared this morning. Listen to what Chuck Swindoll said about Esther. He said, Esther is a story of triumph that grew out of tragedy, ecstasy that grew out of agony, and celebration that came out of devastation. And yours can be the same. Preaching hope this morning. God is at the steering wheel. God is at the steering wheel of this universe and in his sovereignty, it's all going to come together just as he has planned. It's all going to end exactly the way he has planned it. But if I acknowledge him as an individual, and if you acknowledge him as an individual, can I promise you that he'll take the will? No, not Carrie Underwood. Jesus, take the will. But he'll take the will. He'll take the steering wheel. And he'll drive us to where we need to go. I ask us this morning, have we put our full trust, have we put our full confidence in Jesus Christ? Is he the Savior of your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Have you committed your ways to him? Are you letting him drive your car? There was an old license plate that used to go around years ago and it it meant well, but it wasn't quite right. It said, Jesus is my co-pilot. But co-pilot kind of puts us a little too equal than maybe it ought to be. It probably should have said, Jesus is my pilot. And I want to ask you this morning, is is he your pilot? If he is, he'll, he'll drive us through the rain. In a few months, he'll drive us through the snow. He'll drive us through the sleet. He'll drive us through the heartache, the good times, the bad times. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Typically on Fridays, I go down to the nursing home. We do a little service together. I play the piano and we sing hymns. And Here lately, just about every week, I just feel like I want to share to them that one little phrase, Jesus is a friend. Who sticks closer than a brother? He's a friend who sticks closer than any other. Jesus will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. But he'll go with us even until the end. And as we pray today, I want us to be reassured that if we cry out to him, he's only a cry away. He's only a word away. He loves you. He loves me walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I am his own and the joys we share as we tarry there none other have ever known so we should celebrate so I'm going to ask us this morning it's been a little while since we've just come around the altar and kneeled down to God prayed I believe that's important and What I'd like us to do this morning as individuals, I I will ask you to do this, to find a place to pray this morning before we leave. We'd love for us to come and kneel around this altar. We'll open it up here in just a moment. Some people can't kneel, I understand that, and God does too. Make an altar the best you can. Maybe come and sit on the front pew or one of the close pews up or just make an altar where you are. But as individuals, before we leave here on this rainy October morning, 
can we look to God and can we say, God, I believe you are sovereign. And all my hope is in Jesus. All my hope is in you. And God, my very life, I place it in your hands. Would anybody do that with me this morning? So I just ask you today, would you come? They're going to begin to sing. and Can we just come all across this building? And what a beautiful sight it is for God's people to kneel before Him.